0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 182 of The Speaking Club podcast. Things are a little bit of a whirlwind in my life at the moment. We've just moved house. We're off to the Edinburgh Fringe to perform in just a week's time. And there we're launching two new products in September and I get married in four weeks. And these are all good things, which I'm incredibly grateful for. But suffice to say, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and that there's always something to be done and that I've got no time to rest and enjoy life. But I read this today and it's helped get me some perspective. And if you're feeling any of those things in your life, then maybe it will give you some comfort too. It's from the marvellous Matt Haig and his comfort book. Experience one beautiful thing a day. However small, however trivial. Read a poem, play a favourite song, laugh with a friend, gaze at the sky just before the sun's final tumble toward night. Watch a classic movie, eat a slice of lemon drizzle cake, whatever. Just give yourself one simple reminder that the world is full of wonders. Even if we are at a point in life where we can't appreciate things, It sometimes helps to remember there are things in this world to enjoy when we are ready. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, lovely to be with you again. I hope you are well, happy and hopeful. That's a great state to be in. Today, I'm bringing you another best of. And I chose this one in particular because as the world... Is starting to open up, so will TEDx talks. And if this is even a little bit on your radar, then this episode is going to be so valuable to you. But it's not just relevant for people who want to do a TEDx talk, you'll also get some gold if you have a business and you want your message to connect better. My guest today is Ryan Hildebrandt, and he's an engineer entrepreneur and marketer who is a TEDx expert and works with people who want to get their first TEDx talk. He's the founder of one of the most successful TEDx events in the UK and he knows what it takes to get selected and what you need to do to get your message heard by the most people. So without further ado, let's go over to the interview welcome to the speaking club ryan hildebrandt
1: oh my pleasure
0: (laughs) thank you for coming on the show and i'm really chuffed that you've been able to join us um i've got loads of questions for you but before i ask those though i wanted to find out a bit more about what you're up to at the moment because i think you're kind of living the dream that a lot of people aspire to so where are you first of all somewhere in europe
1: well thank you yeah i'm in sarajevo right now um which is in Bosnia and Herzegovina for those people. Um, so it's in the the Balkans, and I'm, I'll probably be going to Belgrade tomorrow or the day after, depending on the weather and how how snowy or not snowy the highways are. So yeah, um, that's what I'm doing. I'm Canadian. I lived in the UK for three years, and uh, after the end, uh, my my visa expired. So. Uh, at the end of my time in the UK, I decided to do some traveling, and that is what I'm doing right now.
0: And you're kind of you're still working while you're traveling, you're yeah,
1: yeah. Um, certainly, it's it's easier to travel for long term if you have something to keep your mind occupied. Otherwise, it, it feels too much like it's a break from your normal life, and everything else is on pause. But if you have a project to work on, or a business, or or something creative, yeah, you know, some people do like a travel blog. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm doing an online business and a couple other things as well. And that, I mean, that really helps keep me, keep me sane. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners empathize with the the fact that you always need some kind of project. If you don't have a project or something for too long, you just get a little bit bored with things and, and want something to fill that space. So that's what I'm doing.
0: Excellent. And uh, you you're a guy who does quite a lot of things. I think um so you, you're you're an engineer by background originally. Um yes. I, I'm getting the impression from things that I've read about you and conversations that we've had that you're not perhaps not a typical engineer. I noticed that oh, you do improv, which I like to talk about a bit in a little bit, and and the six month long pranks I, I noticed.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Let's, yeah. Let's have a quick touch on the on oh, some my of those because I'm curious. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, well, so I love improv. I started doing improv, not because I wanted to be a comedian or do performance arts or anything like that, but I realized that every, so improv is a great, it's, it's like social skills training. So every conversation that you have in your life is improvised. Very few of them are scripted where you have to read off of a script. In fact, people hate those because that's what a telemarketer does or things like that. So uh, I did improv as a way to bring myself more fully to every interaction that I will ever have in my entire life. And that's exactly what happened. I love improv. I've tried to get other people on the bandwagon for improv. Um, and people have thought it's more like, like being funny. And, uh, you know, like they like to be funny people. And improv is a little bit different because instead of you being funny, it's like we're being funny together and everybody is in on the joke. Everybody gets to to have that good experience. So improv is great. Yeah, yeah. definitely recommend it.
0: I, I do improv myself. And you're right, though, as a, as a comic, it's a big mistake some comics make. If you try, if you're aiming for the gag all the time in improv, it doesn't work because it really is a sort of ensemble team game and uh, you're building on each other. So, uh, yeah, it's great for speakers as well. Anyone out there? Try try some improv and it will help your speaking. And and what about these pranks then?
1: Oh man. Okay. So what happened was I was I was on Facebook at work after I'd graduated and I saw this uh, this guy that I know who was still in university. He had he had written a letter to Pepsi and asked Pepsi, like the beverage company, Thank asked you. them to send him a case of Pepsi in exchange for him loudly proclaiming to everybody that he knew how much he loved Pepsi. Basically he wanted to be in a, like get an endorsement deal with Pepsi. And I thought this was hilarious. So I decided to, to play around with him a little bit. So I, what I did is I wrote a letter to Pepsi with the same person at Pepsi because I wanted to get the name of the person. And then I, I had a friend at the time who worked uh, as a co-op student for Kraft. And so he had an at craft.com email address, which uh-huh. is really important. So I had him pretend to be a PR person for Kraft. I got this guy worked up into thinking that he was, he was going to get an endorsement deal from Kraft. And so he thought for the long for months on end that he was in a, he had this endorsement deal with Kraft. Because I went to the store and I bought one of every, I just bought this myself. Like I bought this stuff. I made a fake letter and a letterhead and sent this stuff to him. It got to the point where we invented a fake, we invented a photo contest. <clears throat> Because we we wanted him to do a bunch of photos, um, so we had all these photos and, and him making like these, to, you know, for his fake job as a brand representative. Um, which in exchange, of course, he was getting these free, like, <laughs> free these free products that I was just <laughs> buying and sending them to him because I thought this thing this, this whole thing was hilarious. And then we also invented a fake video contest, so we had him make a commercial, and and then at the end of the school year there's a talent show and we basically revealed that the whole thing was fake at this talent show oh, but i mean there was like several hundred people that thought this thing was fully real and that he had just got he had just landed the jackpot and that he was this brand representative but but actually we hadn't actually sent him that much stuff in the first place. And we'd ask for all this, ra- these random tasks for him mm. to do. And, um, but the best part was like, this guy was the prankster of the university. I mean, or he was, he was always pranking people. And what, what and, was his
0: reaction when he,
1: Oh, I mean, out. he was, I mean, at first off, well, first off, there was like 50 people that congratulated me on finally getting him for something. <laughs> Excellent and uh you know he wasn't he wasn't super impressed but i you know like in it took him a few months to come around and but you know what's funny is somebody sent the whole story to craft like the real craft and their people thought it was hilarious and ended up sending him actually like five t-shirts a backpack and several hundred boxes of craft <laughs> dinner and he actually did end up getting a bunch of free stuff at the end.
0: Wow, there you go. That has a happy ending to the... To it does. Wow, well. It does.
1: It does, brilliant. yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that's I'm, that's brilliant. And the reason I got you on the show, though, was really it's a TED-themed month on The Speaking Club, and you've got a lot of uh, experience with TED. You set up a TED event when you were in the UK.
1: Could you, I did. What, yeah. And did
0: you do that. What was, cause I don't, are you a speaker? We haven't covered this
1: actually. I'm, so I'm not a speaker. I mean, people with engineering degrees often don't do, <laughs> don't also do speaking. I mean, I guess I could, but no, I'm not a speaker. Uh, the most public speaking I've done is probably being the host for, for the event that I, I set up. And, um, but I, you know, to answer your question, I did it because I wanted to create something that would draw together all the the kinds of people that I wanted to hang out with more. Right. So mm. it basically was like a really elaborate way to get friends <laughs> <Thanks> <laughs> and friends. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I never, yeah. <laughs> never got a, you know what, I probably, I never got a date into the event directly, uh, but maybe indirectly. Yeah. So I wanted to create something. I figured the kind of people that I love hanging out with are people that are, that that are ambitious, that set big goals for themselves, that run businesses and that travel a lot and do interesting things. And these kind of people also like Ted talks. So I thought, okay, if I make this event, then I will get to like, people will volunteer and people will sponsor and people will want to speak and people will attend. And I'll get to know all of these people. And, and I'll always have this thing on my, you know, my portfolio as being somebody who created an event, I created a conference from scratch, which is like not an, not an easy thing to do.
0: No. good. So, and so yeah. did it all happen as you envisioned?
1: It was way better than I envisioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked really well. We sold out in just over an hour. Wow. Um, so you sell tickets to a, to an event, you have to get the venue yourself. Like no one, you're not an employee of Ted, um, which is it's actually very relevant to someone who wants to speak at a TEDx event, understanding that you're, uh, you're applying to speak, to a volunteer, someone who just really wanted to put on a cool thing and make a cool thing. So yeah, so I I, uh, set this thing up and I mean, the the speakers did, it was in uh, Leamington Spa, which is in the West Midlands. Yeah, just south of Birmingham for people that are um, based in England. So yeah, I mean, the speakers did amazingly well. One of our speakers, um, there's a documentary on Netflix that's been made about her life. Oh, wow. which you can check out called kingdom of us. Her name is Vicki Shanks. And so I got to see that happen. That just happened this year. So this is three years or two years on this has happened. Uh, one of our speakers, his talk was the third most watched of the entire year. Um, says so 1.8 million views now and, and running. Um, he just got a, he got a book deal. Um, despite having no previous writing experience, he, Uh, he's a personal trainer and a fashion model, and he did a really good job on his, his talk, uh, both in the development of it and then the marketing of it afterwards. And so he's like that. I mean, it's completely changed his life.
0: That's a great sort of segue into, into what I was going to ask next, which is in your opinion and with your experience and exposure to TEDx and TED, what, why do you think people should become uh, consider becoming a TEDx speaker?
1: Well, it's, you know, for, for the kind of people that want more people to know what they're capable of and like know about their ideas, it's a, it's a, it's a platform that carries a lot of credibility with it. So, I mean, that's probably the biggest reason. I mean, if you don't, even if you don't want to become a speaker, like if that's the only public speech that you ever do and everything else is, you know, consulting or teaching or um, you use it to get job opportunities, that's also Okay. Um, if you're, if you're ambitious, basically, if you're ambitious and you want more people to know what you have to say, then I, I think it's a great platform. Um, one thing to note is you don't get paid as a, as a TEDx speaker. So if you, if you want an, like an ROI from it, I suppose it's important to get it, not just step on the stage and deliver the talk and like step off the stage and ignore it, but which, which would be fine if you were getting paid for it but because you're not getting paid for it, um, the result is really important. So doing a a great job such that your message spreads far because it's a, it's a good message to begin with or using it and and using it to like, and pitching for jobs. And it's like, Hey, I, Hey, Mr. Employer, like check out my talk at TEDx, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've heard of people using it for that, like just as a Wow. As a proof of that that. they're an interesting person, I guess. I was Um, going to send
0: a CV, but just have a look at this Ted talk. Right.
1: Right. Or, you know, if you wanted to, let's say you want to sell books or you want, you want to spread the word, uh, raise awareness about your business. Um, it's a good way to, to provide value for people such that you raise awareness in that way. There's a lot of ways that you can take advantage of a, of the opportunity. Um, but it doesn't just happen because you stepped on stage and stepped off stage and, and everything happened on its own. You really have to, you not know, you don't have to, um, if you want a result from it, it requires a lot more than just stepping on stage. It requires, uh, a message that connects with, so it requires an awareness of who your audience is and it requires a message that's tailored to that audience. and And that's, that's a very complicated, not a, sorry. it's a, it's a, it's a process that people underestimate a lot because they think that the platform is going to do all the work for them. And that's not the case.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's something I really would like to explore with you. Um, and just to say, I think in another benefit, I mean, just from my own experience, I did a TED talk, TEDx talk at the beginning of this month in Ireland. And for me, um, I didn't get paid but what you do get out of it well is a highly produced video. I mean that you in do itself. I mean that's worth yeah. something. Yeah. Besides besides anything that comes after it so there you know it's it's a good you get great photos and you get a great well produced video of your
1: Yeah. Your I will say just to just to give people a little bit of a heads up there not every TEDx event has uh, as high a quality video as others. So just like the, the quality varies widely. So for example of this, look up, so look up Simon Sinek's Ted TED talk, like the original one in 2009. In
0: that little room.
1: <laughs> it's really bad. The quality is terrible. I mean, he does a great job, but the, the quality is, is objectively bad. And then look at Brene Brown. Yeah. So they're both TEDx events filmed a year apart. And the, the one so Brene Brown's one at Tex Houston is better. And then look at um the I mean so like actually like we could put some links to the ones that are filmed at the, the event that I did or yes maybe I will, yours. Yeah. Um, I mean the one that we did we had we had a videography team that had done work previously for BMW. They had three cameras they did an awesome job editing and like the quality differences is obscenely different. That said just because you have high quality video doesn't mean, uh, it's, it's again, the the message will spread. Um, I have a link, I actually have a, I have a blog post on my website that shows it's the same speaker speaking at two different TEDx events, one where the quality is very good and one where the quality is, is not so good. Um, surprisingly the views are not that different. In fact, the one that with worse quality has, has more views, but, the speaker, like if you if you look at his Facebook page and all these things, he's using the photos and the video from the high quality one in all of his branding. Ah, uh, yeah. So all else remaining equal, of course, you want higher quality video. And and that is not universal across all TEDx events. It does depend on the event.
0: But it doesn't actually make a difference potentially into the results that you get because it's all about the content and the message, isn't it? And and that's Yeah. That's what I wanted to talk to you about, because you, yeah. you advocate a very strategic approach to a TED Talk. Um, I do. And, I, and I, I, you know, it would have been fantastic to hear about this before I did mine potentially, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to try and get the most out of talking to you today. But yeah, what, so why do you, you know, you've got a 12-month sort of lead-in time, I think you're recommending. Is it why, why is that just to sort of get the maximum potential out of the, the talk?
1: Yeah. Well, so if you wanted, let's say you want, a, uh, you decide today that you want to speak at a TEDx event. Um, you'd probably, I mean, you'd be, it'd be difficult to speak at one less than six months out. Certainly. Uh, I have a 12 month timeline just cause it's a, a convenient amount of time okay. really because it gives you some time to, uh, develop your, your topic or your, the structure, of your talk. It gives you some time to research events and it, it gives you, uh, that, that buffer before the event. Cause I mean, if you, if you, if you saw a TEDx event that was happening tomorrow, they've finalized their speaker lineup. They don't, they are not interested in adding to the the lineup because that's complicated to schedule everybody. And there's a huge risk that you're going to mess something up because you don't have a lot of time to prepare. So they don't at most 99% of the time, that's not going to happen. So you'll, you'll, you'll want to give yourself that buffer because events will enforce that buffer so that they can, they can make sure that all the speakers are prepared. Um, but yeah, you talked about the, the message. I don't, so I don't do speaker coaching. I don't help people with their tonality or their body language or the picking the right slide or how to walk on a stage and walk backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and side to side (laughs) or whatever. Um, because (laughs) those are all, those are all things, uh, in terms of how you say something, right? How yeah. you communicate. What I focus on is what you communicate. So, what your message actually is. And and so to to, to back this up or justify this a little bit, if you if you're pitching for a TEDx event, um, so there's there's two ways this comes in. One is getting selected. The other one is your message spreading afterwards, which is the result, which is why you're stepping on stage in the first place. Is is to get like. To get people to actually like your talk, yes, fundamentally. So the the TEDx the person that's deciding on who gets to speak, um, you can say you're the best speaker in the world. You may be a great speaker, as in your delivery might be good and you might be really entertaining and, and this and that. But the, your performance on the day is a huge risk. Like people, the organizer, they don't, they can't, they don't know if you're going to freak out or freeze or all these things are going to go poorly. And so that's a risk that they can't control for. But if you have a great idea to begin with, that risk is greatly diminished because guess what, even if your speaking is kind of kind of crappy and you forget things and and you're awkward, people are still going to want to hear what you have to say. And for an example of this, check out Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a bad speaker. Oh, right. he's, okay. he's not very, he's awkward. He's kind of, you know, you can tell he's nervous on stage, but people love what he has to say because he's talking about going to Mars <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. he's talking about these things that people really want to hear about. So the fact that he's not a very good speaker doesn't actually change the result very much. I mean, same with Steve jobs. People liked Steve jobs, not because he was a good speaker, but because he was talking about something people wanted to hear. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. lots of people that are great speakers that have nothing to say. Yeah. And uh, you know, in a TEDx event, they, so number one, they can't control your performance on the day. And number two, um, if you if your idea isn't as good, but you're, you're great at saying it and you're entertaining regardless, um, they can't sell that. So if you're, if you're pitching, if you're trying to sell tickets to your audience and saying, here's the reason why you should come, um, unless your the, the speaker is really well known, like they're a comedian, like a professional
0: yeah.
1: comedian or someone that's, that's very well known and has the a name. proven track record. Like yeah. the name itself indicates yeah. something. Um, the rest of it is basically just the idea of what they have to say or their background. And, you, you can't really say like this person's an amazing speaker because that doesn't mean anything until you see them speak. Yeah. And in, so, so from a decision maker perspective, having a great idea is basically is like 80% of the battle. Then the rest of it is how credible you are. And as long as you're not super awkward speaking, it's kind of okay. Um, but then, and then spreading it later is another thing. Um, So if you look at the videos that you watch on YouTube, or um, if if you're talking about a book to a friend, or you're recommending uh, a movie or something, you often don't say, well, this book was great, because in the third chapter, I just love the use of commas, and the vocabulary was amazing. You say, this book taught me about productivity, or how to make a roast chicken, or... Uh, you talk about the idea communicated by the yeah. book or by the talk, right? So people yeah. know like Simon Sinek is start with why or like how great leaders inspire action. That's if you want to learn about that thing, you should watch Simon Sinek's talk. There's lots of people that are more talented than him at speaking, but he's the only one talking about that thing. And if you want to know that thing, you should listen to his talk. So um, the what the thing is about is ha- is the way by which an idea spreads. Yeah, um, And if you look at... Ted's slogan, it's, it's ideas we're spreading, not really good speakers, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it's speaking. in, they've chosen it as the slogan themselves. Yeah. So, um, and you know, if you, if you want to look at, at numbers, there's, I have an article on my website that we can, we can link to, but there's, uh, there's an event in, uh, in Houston in 2010, and there's one of the, one of the talks, actually, most of, most of the talks in that event were since 2010 have gotten, you know, a couple thousand views. And this is seven years later, by the way. Um, there's one talk that's by Brene Brown that has uh, just over a million views on the TEDx YouTube channel. And then, of course, it got featured by TED. And, and now she, now Brene Brown is a household name, and sold millions and millions of copies of books. And they're from the same event. So just stepping on the stage is not, is not the thing that guarantees success. Um, it's having a message that people really care about. And, and you probably would have, I mean, you have a hard time convincing me that her speaking is, is thousands of times better than everybody else at, yeah. at that event, right? It's, it's probably, I mean, you could probably pick up a few things that she did better in terms of her technical speaking ability, but the rest of it is what she's communicating. And that's something that people that are speaker coaches um, and people that really work hard on public speaking ignore. They forget uh, what they're saying in the first place. And that all can be developed before you step on stage, long, long, long before you step on stage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think that's right. And I, th- I think people are becoming more uh, aware of how important what you say is as well as how well you deliver it into mm. where people are using sell, uh, speaking to sell. I think more and more people are using speaking as a vehicle to grow their business. And therefore you've got to get your message bang on. If you want people to actually buy into you or buy your product, I think, you know, that's, that's that's becoming more and more important, but I think you're absolutely right. And, And so basically, um, you know, you have a, you have a, a couple of programs, but what would you, what would you say is your, your, your top tips? You know, say you get the gig you, you've got, um, you've got, you've got the idea nailed and that's something that you can help people with. Um, yeah. and then you, you get told, yeah, we've selected you mm-hmm. From there on in. What, what would you say is important for people to think about before the event?
1: Well, it's, yeah. I mean, so for, for anything, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned selling because, even if you don't have a sales pitch for anything, uh, you can still treat it like, um, I don't know if people are familiar with, with sales copy or copywriting, but in copywriting, one of the things that's different about uh, copywriting versus selling to a a person face-to-face is that in copywriting, you, you write words and you don't get to answer the ask questions. They don't get to raise objections. They just have to, Think of an objection and say, oh, never mind, this isn't for me. And so it's it's uh it's important if you're writing sales copy to do a lot of research up front so you understand what the objections are, so that your wording is clear, so that you understand what people like the most about your product or service, so you can emphasize those things. And um it's basically a function of the internet, right? Because otherwise you, would, you could just sell face-to-face or off the phone and you could have a conversation and have a different conversation every time and ask them questions and things. And uh, a talk, so a talk to a live audience is very much the same as let's say traditional selling. You can you can ask the audience questions. You can see visually if they're confused. Um, it's not likely someone's going to get up and walk out of the room partway through. There, it's just polite to stay around.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that is very different than a talk that's filmed and is primarily spread on the internet. So if you have a talk on the internet and, and you have two people delivering the exact same talk, one to a live audience. And the other one is filmed and it's that same audience is individually at their computers at home, watching it. Um, if someone in the audience is confused at first, they can just close the tab on YouTube and go down with their day and check their email and get coffee and do whatever. If they don't like the title to begin with, they're going to not watch it in the first place. Again, whereas someone that's sitting there on their chair already will, will look at it and go, okay, like this is not that interesting, but I guess I'll, I guess I'll stick around because everybody else is around and it would be weird looking for me to, to walk out of the room. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, that if you are, so I'd say if you're speaking to just a live audience, the stakes are pretty low. It, if, Unless you're selling something, it doesn't really matter because guess what? At the end, people are going to clap. People are going to tell you you did a good job. Everything's going to be wonderful. and uh, And that's that. But if you're doing a talk at a TEDx event, it's much more important to, like, I talk about uh, nailing your idea. It's not really about you going off in your room and like thinking really hard and trying to think about the audience. Um, cause that's, that's hard. I don't know anybody who's psychic and like, that's difficult to do. Yeah. Um, but what is, what I found is more effective is something much more similar to what people do or when I do when I do sales copy is do a bunch of research and ask real people what their objections are and test for clarity in your, in your message. So that when you step on stage and deliver it and it's filmed, someone that's sitting at home already feels like they connect with your message. Not because you're just psychic and really good at what you do, but because you've, you've already gone out and tested your idea with real people. So you know, for a fact that it lands with them. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. Um, one of the, the the best ways, or one of the first things to do is, is, uh, just make sure you're, you're testing for clarity. So I'll give you a kind of crazy, weird example. Um, yeah. I had a, I had a, so when, when I was starting the event, I would tell people I'm starting a TEDx event. Right. And I was really surprised. Nobody got it. No one knew what that was. <laughs> Even people who I thought should know it. Like, I thought this is, this is ridiculous. Like how, how come no one knows what this is? Uh, I thought these were popular. Right. And I had to explain it a little bit more And then I would show people like videos on my phone and they would go, Oh, you mean Ted talks? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted talks. What I'm doing is like a Ted talks event locally in this town. And then all of a sudden people loved it.
0: Right.
1: So it is correct to say that I was starting a TEDx event And it's for other people listening, you have an idea in your head and you've been thinking whether it's correct in your head or not is kind of irrelevant. Um, It's all about how your audience perceives perceives that idea. And the only way to find out how they perceive it is to go test it with them and and find out for sure whether they understand it in the first place. So Mm -hmm. like one really simple test you can do is let's say you've got a title for a book or a talk or, um, an app or a business or whatever it is you have. You can go tell people without giving them a lot of context, like don't tell them what it is and then tell them the title afterwards. Cause that's just, uh, that's, that's diminishing the, the effectiveness of the test, but you can tell people like, Hey, if there was a talk called blah, whatever the name of your talk is, what do you think that would be about? Or if there was a book called blah, 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 like whatever your book title is, um, what do you think that the chapters would be? or what kind of people would like the book. And in doing so, you're not just asking them like, hey, does this make sense? Because of course they're gonna say yes, right? Because no one likes to give negative feedback these days. Um, But if you just ask them what their understanding is, then you understand not only if there's a mismatch, but also what the mismatch is. So. That's a brilliant um,
0: tool. You told me about that before. I think this is brilliant.
1: Yeah, And, and this can be used for early anything. I mean, I've used this for like app ideas where I've said, oh, this is the name of the app. What do you think it does? And if the name is off, then I know that it doesn't matter if I think the name is correct because the app isn't for me. It's for other people. Yeah. Uh, the same thing as with your talk. Um, and there's other, I have a, a methodology where there's lots of these tests and strategies in a sequence so that you can go from, I have some like things I want to say, but I don't exactly know how to say them in such a way that people get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah that's really good that's really good so so getting that idea nailed doing your market research around it and then once you've done your market research then start crafting the talk and presumably iteratively test it along the way to make sure that you're still on track
1: Yeah yeah exactly i mean so the a lot of people develop a talk and they they do like 80 to 90% of the work on their own and i would say that's a really risky assumption that you're making you're making the assumption that you kind of know what's in everybody else's head and that's hard to do unless you're a psychic or you share a brain with them or um or you've got like 30 years experience test effectively testing your ideas with other people right yeah but instead what uh, what i would advocate for is you start testing with other people when you're when your idea is a single sentence it's not a talk that's in draft form and you deliver it on stage, and you ask for feedback, or you have a friend read it out and you ask them for feedback. You you test it out when your talk is a single sentence, yeah. um, maybe even a, a short phrase, and you could even test other talk like other ideas against each other. You can you can have ten ideas and ask people what their favorite is. There's a lot of ways that you can start that process of of targeting your talk towards an audience earlier, so you don't have to end up with something that's a little bit off and, and try to close the gap and that, that closing that gap might even not be possible.
0: Brilliant. That's really, so, that's really yeah.
1: Good.
0: So, so they, so they get the talk, they do the talk and then is there anything you can do if you've got that right and you've, you've nailed your sort of target audience and your target message and it's the right, what else can you do when you've done the talk to increase your chances of getting it viewed you know, a good number of times
1: started. If you start as early as possible to identifying who your audience is, like who you want to reach and what the benefit understanding, what the benefit is for that audience, you're 10 times better off. So if you have a talk and you're talking about your story um, of this time that you did some crazy thing, well, I hate to say it but pretty much. Nobody cares. <laughs> right. What people care about is is something that they can apply to their own lives. So maybe that thing that they can apply to their own lives is, uh, they they get this inspiration to do a similar trip themselves, and that's the benefit. Um, and then the second thing is like, who is who are you talking to? So there's no such thing as a talk for everybody. You're your primary audience is either, you know, women under the age of 35 that have a children that have a child or people that own dogs or lawyers that are just entering the law profession or people that are engineers that are now traveling the world or (laughs) people that are struggling to grow their podcast or whatever it is. Right. Um, if you, if you don't know who your audience is, reaching that person is is very difficult because you'll have to end up spending basically a lot of money on Facebook advertising uh, to try to force your message down people's throats. But if you know that you have a message and it's for mothers that have teenage daughters, then you can go out and find those people in Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups or um, clubs of some kind, or you can do advertising in a magazine or you can do guest posting on a blog or like somehow find where those people are and, and then not pitch it as a lot of people pitch their, their talk. And you know, they'll say, Hey, my TEDx talk is live. And then include a link. And you're like, yeah, I mean, so I have an email to check and that's cool. And there's a coffee shop that exists down the street. I should go there because it exists. So um, marketing like this exists, therefore you should care is uh, something that may work for your immediate friends and family because they already like you and they already have a reason to want to watch the talk because they have a reason to like maintain that relationship. But someone who doesn't know you, um, isn't going to be convinced by the fact that it exists. Yeah. So they need to be told what they can learn from the talk or why they would want to watch it. And that comes down to something that is. You know, it's easier if you start that process as soon as, soon as possible, um, because your talk can then be developed for a person rather than for just
0: yeah, I'm with you. A
1: thing that you wanted to say
0: yeah,
1: um, that's probably the, the biggest thing. So once you know uh, who your talk is for, how it can benefit them, it becomes a lot easier to find those people, and then you can put your talk in front of them and say, hey, if you're looking for a way to, you know, like if you have a teenage daughter and you want to develop a better relationship with her. This is like, I share my three tips in this video. And then people with teenage daughters will go, oh, great. I'm going to click on that video and learn that thing. And then they will share with other people that have teenage daughters and your talk will spread in that way.
0: Brilliant. Really good advice there. I'm pretty sure I might've been guilty at one point of saying, here's my talk.
1: (laughs) Right. A lot of people (laughs) do because they're, they're afraid of being, salesy and and self emotional yeah. and they don't want other people to think oh, oh, who who is this yes. like this is just so annoying, but <laughs> if you have something to say that truly benefits people, then it's not that annoying, is it because no. you're benefiting them um, if you find it hard to get your thing in front of people, one way to solve that is to make it a better thing for those people, so that you're doing them a favor you're, you're doing them a favor yeah. you're yeah. not um, you're not forcing it down their throats.
0: Excellent. Oh, that's that's brilliant. Brilliant advice. And, um, I'm just trying to think the other thing that I think, um, I wanted to touch on with you is you know, people we've, I think we've covered off. We, you don't need to be a professional speaker to do a TEDx talk. Um, and I think people aren't always aware of how many TEDx opportunities there are. I mean, it, you still have to apply, but um, there's a lot of them out there, and there's some women-specific ones as well, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there's. Uh, so last year, like, or sorry, I guess we're in 2017 now. Um, so in 2017, there was 180 TEDx Women events, and they all generally coincide with the TED Women conference. So if you know when the TED Women conference is, which you can find on the, on the TED website or just by googling TED Women. Um, if you if you look for TEDx events in the same it's the same weekend they they coincide in the same weekend then you'll you'll know when they are uh, normally they're in November or late late October um, but yeah and in general I think there's I want to say about four thousand wow TEDx events every year some of them will be better quality than others as I mentioned uh, I generally recommend people don't apply for youth anything with youth in the name or anything with a library in the name. Um, the library ones tend not to have live speakers and they'll be held in a, in a library. So often the venue is not... Uh, in see. terms of getting high quality video and photos, yeah. um, no offense to libraries, like big conference halls are often, they often look better. Yeah. Uh, and then youth ones, the audience is under 18. So unless you have a very particular message and you really want to speak to a room of 16 year olds, um, most people that are listening that want to do professional speaking there, they really want to In t- back to the audience thing. Uh, it's, you would be better served talking to like business leaders or people that are 25 and older looking to transition careers or people that want to publish the first book or whatever their audience is. Most people that have a business aren't marketing to, 16 and 17 year olds, for example. Exactly. Um, but, but the rest of them are, again, they're, they're all pretty much the same. Um, ones at universities will be primarily attended by university students Okay. and organized by university students. So if you have a message that's, that's relevant to university students, those are a great choice. If you don't, those are not a great choice because, <laughs> They're not going to select you, um, because your message is not relevant for their audience, but all of them, regardless of what event you speak at all the, all the talks will go online afterwards on YouTube. And again, you can see if you want to get a taste of the quality of the video, the quality of the photos from the event, you can, you can Google it. You can look up past, um, like past videos and past photos and, and see what, see what they look like.
0: And I think if people, I'm going to put a link to your to your website in the show notes. But I think you you do have a, like a, a help giving people um, help to find TED talks and TEDx talks near them. I think.
1: Yeah, so I have I have some resources on that. Um, you can also check out the TED. So I have some some resources on like little tricks and things. Uh, I have an ultimate guide for getting a TED talk, and that's but more or less a massive brain dump of every question that I've ever been asked about getting selected. Um, but like, you know, like I said, getting selected is actually, is actually not the most important thing. The, the, it comes back to what do you want to say? Um, and, and that drives whether people will care about it and, and the results that you'll get afterwards. So, um, Really, what I help people do is is craft a message that's great—not even just for a TED talk, but for for anything. Because even if you have no interest whatsoever in in speaking at a TEDx event, like let's say you just hate public speaking, yeah. um, you can still you can still use the same methodologies to craft a book that people love to read. Not because you're psychic and you just guessed really well, but because it's it's tailored for them from the start. So it's, um, I guess like the, the one thing I would say or kind of, um, in people's minds is that there's no such thing as a magic bullet platform that will, that will, um, make all your dreams come true and make Mm -hmm. you world famous. It, it truly does come down to who are you speaking to? Does your message resonate with them? And then getting it in front of them, which is really the basis of any kind of content, if done, if done well, like your, your content and your ideas are a gift for people. And that's what I I really help people do is craft a message that people go, Oh, I love this. This is exactly what I wanted. You've read my mind. I'm going to share this along with all of my friends. And that, that remains the case, whether it's for TEDx or for a blog post or a YouTube video or a book or anything else.
0: Or an app or anything really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I guess I have like a unique um, privilege of seeing seeing those ideas uh, spread on a massive platform where you can pretty easily compare like one idea against another and see how far one went versus another. Whereas every other platform, like it's difficult to tell whether a blog post spread because that blog had better seo than another or that person did advertising for that blog post or uh, or or other factors but yeah. you know two two talks filmed at the exact same event with the same videography and the same promotion behind them um it's easy to to see what ideas spread far and what ideas don't and so i i basically try to take that knowledge and bring that down to regular people and and help them do the same thing with, with what they know.
0: That's brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for all those tips. Now before I've got some standard questions, which I ask all my guests, um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that we, we haven't covered that you think is important for people to know if they want to do a successful Ted talk? I mean, we talk about that a lot. So any last yeah. thing that you wanted to say on that?
1: It basically comes down to, you know, um, how well you connect with people. And I don't think, that is a factor, a function of how good you are as a speaker. I think it is a function of what you are speaking about.
0: Cool. That's brilliant. Thank you. Right. Well, let's move on to my of questions. Now it's, it's interesting. Alrighty. You're not a speaker, but if we, if we use perhaps the, the TED event maybe as this thing, but so the first thing I ask speakers is what's the, the best thing that that's public speaking or speaking has ever done for you? But I guess in this, you know, you 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 are speaking to people and your message and through Ted and stuff. So what's the best thing that's happened to you as a result of all of this sort of stuff?
1: Ooh, I mean, I got to interview for a job at, um, at Google and Facebook. So that was pretty cool. I got flown to California twice. Wow. Um, and I also got to, I mean, like meeting, meeting all these interesting people. I mean, that's a very, it's, it's like a very intangible benefit and it's hard to put a like a. You know, uh, it's hard to score like how good that is, but I mean, that was like really, that was really sweet and all like one more. I got to, I got to have lunch under, under big Ben, um, at the UK houses of parliament with the local MP. So that was also like, it was just a really interesting experience and it was very different from my normal experiences that I'd had as a, as an engineer. So yeah i mean there's some there was a lot of them there was a lot of them yeah that's
0: great and and what what about the worst thing have you have you got any bloopers anything that's gone oh along?
1: okay, so for our um yeah so the day <laughs> before we had a dress rehearsal three weeks before the event and I was really nervous. Um, we had actually invited the family and friends of of the volunteers and speakers to like to, to, to see our dress rehearsal uh-huh. uh, because we wanted to give the speakers kind of a like a mock audience I guess and um, but I was still nervous because like these are these are real people right like they're there's a crowd that I have to almost perform in front of and this is the first time that all this stuff is kind of coming together. Uh, I went through an entire uh, Tesco carrot cake and, <laughs> and a bottle of, and a bottle of Malbec the night before the dress rehearsal. Cause pretty I was cool. so, yeah, it was the night, it was the night before it wasn't like the morning of, right. and I was, re- I was really nervous. Um, and I forgot, I forgot one of the speaker's names. And it just, I got to that point where my brain was just tired and mm. that was, that was pretty, um, yeah, that was a stressful time, but I mean, it ultimately led to a much like a, a really good, a really good final event. Like, I mean, all the speakers they had a noticeable improvement, and it was it blew everyone's minds. Basically, to your team especially because we knew, like, we had seen everybody all the speakers progress from day one all the way to stepping on stage and delivering this this talk. And so we we knew how nervous they all were. We knew. um all these like internal struggles. So seeing them do a really good job on the day when it kind of really mattered uh, was it was pretty. That was it was pretty amazing. Like it's difficult to describe how that felt.
0: Brilliant. No, I I uh, I, I run a stand up comedy course, and I think. See, I like so it's a seven week course and my students do a showcase at the end and seeing them do five minutes of stand-up comedy when they haven't done anything is that is that you feel like your babies have grown up exactly kind of, yes kind of feeling it's really nice brilliant exactly <laughs> excellent and then and then the last question um i don't know if you've heard of a book called think and grow rich by napoleon hill i have yeah so I always like to ask, because Napoleon Hill had his own sort of mastermind group of fantasy people, and I always like to ask, if you could choose three people to be your mentor from history uh, or alive or dead, fictional, non-fictional, who would you choose and why?
1: Ooh, okay. So I'm, uh, Leonardo da Vinci was probably the first one. Cool. Um, I love the fact that da Vinci was interested in, in a lot of different things, and he... Yeah, it was just every he was just he was just very curious and he was willing to try stuff and he was a bit of like a I don't know he was a bit of a troublemaker and I just I like the fact that he was so like, multifaceted. Um looking for I'm, yeah so so it's the book I'm reading is is Walter Isaacson's biography of Leonardo da Vinci oh, um wow. for people interested. And the second one I would go, so I would go with, so Mark Zuckerberg, it sounds really uh, typical, but he's, he's, I mean, we're, he's not that much older than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he went from, from building this tiny little network, um, this tiny little product that people used at one university to having influence over billions of people which is no like nobody else on earth has the uh has the responsibility that he does and i think i would like to to tap his brain a little bit and learn more about how he makes decisions because it's never it's never the obvious thing like it's it's obvious to say oh this is wrong and facebook is evil or whatever but when um like having interviewed at facebook and talking talked to uh, talk to people that control how the products work. There, mm-hmm. um, they're impressive people, not just in like larger than life kind of way, but the the thought that they put into things is is much 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 deeper than anybody else knows um, that criticizes the platform. So There's never it's never a simple answer. Um, so yeah, so yeah. Da Vinci, Mark Zuckerberg, and oh man okay (laughs) so let me see I mean I really want to date Anna Kendrick so
0: oh okay maybe
1: I would go with Anna Kendrick I I like yeah because she's like a she's a goofball right she's hilarious
0: Okay. Um,
1: yeah yeah so maybe I would I would like be a little bit cheeky and and go with Anna Kendrick she's
0: you on kissing techniques
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Anna Kendrick, if you're listening, look yeah. look me up.
0: Excellent, that's really <laughs> Yeah, cool. I like that. no, I,
1: I like, and like, you know, yeah, I like people that are a little bit, a little bit goofy. Cool,
0: excellent. Yeah. Well, you, you're a star. Thank you for, so much for coming on. It's been brilliant. And if people want to connect with you, are you on Twitter or uh, Instagram or Facebook?
1: Ooh, I mean, Facebook, yeah, I don't really do twitter that much like i mean i think i've got i've maybe put out like 20 tweets or so i you know um instagram yeah i don't i don't put instagram stuff yeah facebook yeah cool. all people i mean i'm super old so uh I'm, I, think old. I'm, I think i'm i think i'm old i'm too old for instagram what? everyone that i know on instagram is like young you know they're no they're way. like 20 yeah i think instagram is for young people <laughs> i'm super <laughs> old now baby, so ryan.
0: how old are you ryan i'm
1: Chris? I'm 32. You're,
0: th- you're trust me, you're not too old for Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, that's that's probably the most shocking thing I've heard today. <laughs> Excellent, <laughs> cool. I'll put your uh, contact uh, if they want to find out more about uh, how to get your first TED talk and getting yeah. in terms of ideas. Yeah. Well, thank you again, and have fun on your travels. Are you eventually Ooh, getting you. back to Canada, or are you staying traveling for a while?
1: I mean, yeah, I'll eventually. Yeah. It's, it's it never say never. Right? So like, of course I'll go back to Canada. Cause that's where my family lives. But right now I don't have an apartment. So all my stuff is in storage somewhere in the UK actually. Wow. So I'm uh, taking advantage of a time where I can, can travel easily because of the fact that I don't pay rent. So Fantastic. Fantastic. that's what I'm doing. Well,
0: have fun and stay safe. And thank you very much again.
1: Cool. Thanks Sarah.
0: No worries. Take care. Did you enjoy that? Well, as far as I know, since recording that originally back in 2017, Ryan hasn't yet managed to hook up with Anna Kendrick. Although he can absolutely still help you if you want to get hooked up with a TEDx event. And if anything Ryan said resonated with you, then do let him know over at LinkedIn or via the contact form on his website. Remember, also, if you do want to power up your message, your content and your delivery, then do also check out my Speaking Club Live. You get a safe space to try out stuff in front of an audience and you get weekly coaching from me in our hot speak sessions. And you can find out more about Speaking Club Live over at saraharcher.co.uk/slash club. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I, when I was re-listening to it, it was getting a lot of value and I know that you will too. And thank you so much for joining me. And if you also get value from the Speaking Club podcast, then could you do me a solid and leave a rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC? It's really, really helpful to help other people find it. And also, I love getting the feedback. It helps me to know what's working and what's not, you know, give an honest review. Um, And that would be really good. Thank you very much in advance for that. And I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, as you know, don't you forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content, structure and delivery, and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week, we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking, from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humour and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of The Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.